Today, turning to Revelation chapter 21, Pastor Phil draws our gaze upon the great city, the new Jerusalem, which will descend from heaven for all to see. So with that in mind, let's open our Bibles now as Pastor Phil will bring us today's teaching. But verse 15, And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, its length is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with the reed. It's one of those measuring reeds. It's golden, though. In heaven, everything's gold. Uh, and he measured the city 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, height are equal. Now, there are many who believe, many, by the way, many commentators, good commentators, who argue that this city is not real. It's not literal. It's symbolic. It, it means it's just symbolic for different things, you know, and and the walls just signify the salvation of God wrapped around his people. And you, you find verses that talk about this kind of thing. And so they say it's not a literal city. It's a, it's a symbolic city, and they spiritualize everything away and so on. I personally believe this city is literal. It's not symbolic. I believe that for a lot of reasons. But one of them is because measurements are given. Why does God bother to give us measurements if it's not real? I mean, if God was speaking symbolically... He lets us know that often. He says, you know, there was a certain, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain rich man. Or it's like this. John said, I saw uh, this and that. It was like, you know, talking. He's, he knows it's symbolic. But when God gives measurements, to me, one of the things he's trying to communicate to us is it's real. It's real. You see this in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, where the, the millennial temple is in view. And if you read that, it's very tedious because one measurement after another of everything you can think of. You're going, oh man, why is this important to me that I know every small detail? Well, in part, because God didn't want anyone spiritualizing this, and people do. They spiritualize the last, you know, eight or nine chapters of Ezekiel. Well, it's not a real temple. Well, you've got to be kidding me. If it's not a real temple, what's the point of all the measurements? I, I really believe this is going to be a real, literal city, something unlike we've ever seen before, but something that is definitely real. It's not going to be symbolic or allegorical in any way. It's going to be real. Verse 16, John said, The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height, are equal. Now that's why we believe it's not just a square on the ground, it's a cube. We believe the city is a cube. In fact, from what the angel measured, it's laid out as a giant cube, its height, depth, and width, all measuring 12,000 furlongs. The Greek is stadia. A stadion was about 607 feet, which means that the city walls are 1,380 miles high, wide, depth. It's a 1,300, think 1,500, round it off. 
1,500 mile cube. Think about that for a minute. The city is roughly a 1,500 mile cube. Some commentators, because they don't really see it as a cube, they see it just as a base, you know, four square on the ground. Some commentators believe it's a pyramid. A pyramid. And um, Henry Morris in his commentary says, well, you know, that interpretation is, is forced, to say the least. It's much more natural to, to take the language as being referring to a cube with its length and breadth and height all the same. He said a pyramidal shape, whether it be in Egypt, Mexico, or stepped towers of practically all ancient nations, seems always to have been associated with paganism with the pyramid's apex being dedicated to the worship of the sun or of the host of heaven. The first such structure was the Tower of Babel. We think that the Tower of Babel was uh, on the order of a pyramid. And the Bible always later condemns worship carried, uh, carried out in high places. Leviticus 26 verse 30 tells us whether these were simply natural high hills or artificially constructed hills in the form of pyramids or a ziggurat or whatever it might be. So Morris is saying that in paganism, the, t the pyramid is a very common feature. And it's always associated with paganism. Why God, knowing that in paganism, pyramids are always involved somehow, why he would make the New Jerusalem in the shape of a pyramid escapes me. When in fact, if you look at the Holy of Holies, first of all, in the tabernacle in the wilderness, it was 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet. It's a perfect cube. Later in the temple, the Holy of Holies was 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet, also a perfect cube. That seems to be consistent with the worship of God. So to me, this has got to be a cube. It's a big cube, folks. It's a big cube. If you were to place this city on the United States, it would stretch from Canada down to the Gulf of Mexico and from the Atlantic Ocean to Colorado. That's a big city. And remember, it's 1,500 miles high as well. Henry Morris also points out that this cube-shaped city is well-suited to all of us with glorified bodies. Listen to what he said. It, shouldn't, it should also be remembered that the new bodies of the resurrected saints will be like those of angels, no longer limited by gravitational or electromagnetic forces as at present. Thus, it will be easy for the inhabitants to travel vertically as well as horizontally. So not, we're not going to be zipping around on the ground. We're going to be zipping up and down and everywhere. Consequently, the streets of the city in verse 21 may well include vertical passageways as well as horizontal avenues. And the blocks could be real cubicle blocks instead of square areas between the streets as in a present-day earthly city. And you say, well, just how many people could a city this big hold? I really enjoyed... Henry Morris's section on this whole deal, okay, I really enjoyed it. He, he gives some interesting speculation. Now remember, he readily admits this is speculation. But let's think of it this way, he said. He estimated, and I'm sure he's got some numbers and why he did it. He estimated that from the time of Adam up until the present day, 40 billion people have lived. Now I think that's more than is probably true, but let's just say he's right. So from Adam to the present, 40 billion people have lived. He said, let's assume that during the millennial kingdom, since death is going to be pretty rare, 
that after the thousand years, another 40 billion people have lived. Now that's 80. Let's include another 20 billion for infants that died before they were born or shortly after they were born. So that means from Adam until the end of the millennial kingdom, a hundred billion people have lived. Let's assume that one out of five or 20% are going to get saved. Now, I think that's a real big exaggeration. I think he's being very generous. Jesus said that the way to eternal life is very narrow, right? And only a few find it. I don't think it's going to be 20%, but let's just say he's, he's right. That means that 20 billion people are going to wind up being saved and living in the New Jerusalem. You say, 20 billion people? You've got to be kidding me. How are they all going to fit? Well, because Morris, you know, had this, he was a scientist, besides being a devoted Christian. He thought like this. He said, 20 billion people could easily fit in the city if God gave to every person a 75-acre cube to live in. Now, I'm not saying it's just a, I mean, I don't make it sound very, you know, the Bible calls it a mansion. I'm calling it a cube. It's, you know, it's a, it's a spectacular cube. But, but you, you all know, you all know, do you, you have any idea how big an acre is? I think it's 75 acres, you know, height and breadth and depth. and That's a big cube. It's not like we're tripping over each other. That's better than a lot of you folks are doing right now. If everyone, 20 billion people living in the New Jerusalem, each had a 75-acre cube to live in, that would only take up 25% of this city. You'd still have 75% left, he said, for parks, streets, lakes, rivers, public buildings, whatever that means. And whatever else the Lord wanted to include in this city. So it's not like we're going to be bumping into each other. It's going to be an incredible place. Verse 17. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. So now the angel me measures the city wall. Now, here's where a lot of people have a conflict. So wait a minute. We just, he just told us the wall was 1,500 miles high and, you know, length and depth. What's this? We assume what John is talking about is the thickness of the wall, right? Is the, um, the wall's thickness. And the angel measured it was 144 cubits. Now, a cubit differs in length. A cubit actually was the distance between the elbow and the tip of your hand. Unfortunately, not everybody's elbow to the tip of their hand is the same, depending on how tall you are. So cubits varied. But a good, you know, average is about 18 inches. 18 inches is the average cubit, okay? If we use the 18-inch cubit, 144 cubits, that means the wall is 216 feet thick. 216 feet thick. And some people say, well, that's just symbolic because the angel, you can't take this literally. I mean, an angel's measuring this. It's got to be symbolic. And so John adds something that on the face of it sounds a little weird, but he's trying to show us that this is not symbolic. He said, you know, it was 144 cubits according to the measure of a man, but the Greek is saying, or also an angel. In other words, a foot is the same for a man or an angel, 
a mile is the same for a man or an, it doesn't matter because this is a literal thing. So John's saying, what are you talking about? A cubit and angels, you know, are often mistaken for people. I mean, when they show up, people, you know, want to feed them. Uh, in Sodom, they wanted to do other things to them. But angels look like men. And they don't look like giant men. They look like regular men, right? And so John says, look, I'm not talking symbolically here. I mean, even though the angel's doing the measuring, it's a, it's a cubit. It's a literal cubit, right? Verse 18 says, the construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. Either this gold is so pure, it's translucent, or John is describing a golden light that makes up the city, but this golden light somehow has kind of physical properties to it. You know, we have the benefit of all the science fiction stuff, right? And the Star Trek and this and that. And you've all seen in, this, in those science fiction shows or movies, you know, the force fields, right? Where you have, you know, an invisible thing where it's like light, but it has like physical properties. Maybe this is something like this. I don't know. Verse 18, the construction of its wall was of jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. So the wall, imagine this, the walls, the 1,500 mile high and deep, like a diamond, solid diamond, okay? But the city is made of transparent gold. Somebody was mentioning that years ago there was a, uh, like an ancient Egyptian exhibit that came to the United States and uh, I don't know anything about gold, but I was just listening to this pastor talk about this. And, you know, we, 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 and we know of 10 karat, 14 karat, you know, 24 karat gold. Well, the gold that the ancient um, pharaohs had was even more pure than that. It was like 28 karat or something like that. And the, he said if you sliced it thin enough, you could actually see through it a little bit. Well, God's got gold that maybe 100 carats, uh, I don't know. If that's even possible with God, all things are possible. So pure is the gold that God is going to use to build the city. It's going to be transparent gold. I mean, it's nothing to God, right? He paves the streets with gold, you know? We put so much emphasis on things like precious stones and metals. They're nothing to God. He builds walls out of them in heaven. He paves the street with them. It's, that's unimportant to God. God has probably got, you know, they say that, you know, when they, when they finally got down to the very depths of the ocean, in one of these, these uh, submarines, you know, these little drone machine submarines that were built to withstand the tremendous pressure, you know, and, and they went down so deep that no light penetrates way down, totally black. They've got to use, obviously, big spotlights on this little uh, submarine drone to see. But when they went down there and they shone the light, turned the lights on, they were absolutely amazed at the colors of the fish and sea life down there. That, there's no reason for them to have color. No light penetrates down there. But you know what? God sees them. And God loves beauty. And so God made them where, you know, he looks at them and he gets pleasure out of seeing the beauty there that he has made. I'm convinced somewhere in the outer regions of the, of the universe, there are probably whole planets made out of gold or diamond or something else. They're not valuable to God. What's valuable to God? See, the Bible says that the heavens are the work of his what? His fingers. And the universe is a pretty big place. 
Yet that only took the work of God's fingers. That was small time stuff for God. You know what really caused God to roll up his sleeves? In fact, the Bible uses that exact term. God rolled up his sleeves with what? When it came to our redemption. That's when God had to really, not that it was hard for God. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing hard for the Lord. But he can speak worlds into existence. But to redeem mankind, he had to become one of us and walk among us and allow his creation to beat and crucify him that he might rise the third day and save us from our sin. So this city is going to be gorgeous. As we said a couple weeks ago, don't let the fact that the city is made of diamond walls and transparent gold buildings and things like that, that's not what's going to make the New Jerusalem a precious place to, to live in. The fact that God himself dwells there, that's going to be the thing. That's going to make this city really heaven because God is going to dwell there. We're going to see that just more in a moment. So verse 19, John goes on, The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper and then sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth uh, sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seven chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh um, jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. This indeed, as we just said earlier, is the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews 11, verse 10. This is the city that we are waiting for. This is the city that God has promised us. I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them in part to us who have his spirit. I mean, you know, we can only, as Paul said, right now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. I'll never forget my first trip to Israel, because after being a pastor at that time for about 10 years, or maybe longer, 12 years, and reading about Israel and teaching about Israel, to actually go and see it for myself was quite an experience. And, you know, after all these years of reading about heaven, reading about the New Jerusalem, teaching on it, the day is coming when we're actually going to lay eyes, not just on the city, but on the Savior. We're going to see him face to face. And we're going to see this beautiful city. I said, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. You know, somebody said... He created the world and the universe in six days. He's been preparing that place for us for 2,000 years. It must be pretty spectacular because the world is a pretty place, right? Except for what man has done to it. There's a lot of beauty in nature. I enjoy nature. I enjoy getting out into nature. Something about it, isn't it? It just it has a calming effect and just inside of you, it just causes you to begin to praise God for the beauty. That's six days. What's this city going to look like after 2,000 years of preparation? So John describes this next, the, the foundation stones of the city, the city wall, which he describes really in amazing detail. Now, the names of some of these stones have changed over the centuries, and, and scholars are not really in agreement as to what each one means. So they're open to the interpretation, some speculation. Uh, let me just give you a list that I got uh, from one of the commentaries uh, that I was reading. And uh, the first foundation stone was Jasper. Uh, this is, again, it was identified earlier as a stone that was clear as crystal. Think of a diamond. The second was sapphire, a brilliant blue stone. 
Third was Chalcedony, an, an agate stone from the Chalcedon region, which is now modern Turkey. Uh, it was sky blue in color with uh, colored stripes through it. The fourth was emerald, a bright green stone. The fifth was uh, sardonyx, a red and white striped stone. The sixth was sardius, a common quartz stone found in various shades of red, very, uh, very common and popular in the city of Sardis. Uh, so uh, they um, knew about this stone, but it was, you know, different shades of red. The seventh was chrysolite, a transparent gold or yellow hued stone. The eighth was beryl, a stone found in various colors, including shades of green, yellow, and blue. The ninth was topaz, which is a yellow-green stone. The tenth was chrysopras, a gold-tinted green stone. The eleventh was jacinth, a blue or violet-colored stone in John's day, though the modern equivalent, from what I understand, is red or reddish-brown zircon. And then finally, the twelfth was amethyst, a purple stone. Now, are these real, literal, precious stones? And I imagine these on one on top of the other. Some see it a little differently. Some see a column of each stone right next to each other, you know, all the way around the city. And so you have that image. Uh, I've always kind of imagined it as 12 layers, one on top of each other. Are they really precious stones? Maybe. It could be, it could be that what John is seeing is brilliant, different shades of light that the city seems to be built upon. It could be that this whole city is nothing more, and I say nothing more, uh, is really a city of light. That what we're looking at is, and if you were John trying to describe a city made out of light, how would you describe it? Multicolored lights. You'd probably kind of, you know, because the lights seem to have some kind of physical properties. I mean, a city is sitting on it. Walls are made out of it. So he's probably trying to, you know, grasp for any kind of, of imagery he can to communicate this. But let's just imagine for a moment that what he's really describing is a city of light. Twelve foundations of multicolored lights, not to mention the fact, as we've already said, that the walls of the city are diamond. God is going to illuminate the city with his glory. And of course, again, if you shine a bright light through a diamond, it's a prism and it just shoots multicolored lights everywhere. I mean, just have that in your mind. And then don't forget what the Bible says about us as the redeemed. In Judges 5.31, it says, Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love you be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. Now, Daniel reinforces that, uh, reinforces that in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, when he said, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, think about this. Can you imagine 20 billion people all flashing back and forth, up and down, throughout the city like shooting stars? I mean, can you imagine what this thing is going to look like? One commentator said, The scene was one of breathtaking beauty, a spectrum of dazzling colors flashing from the New Jerusalem throughout the recreated universe. Can you imagine what this city is going to look like? In verse 21, 
It says the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, again, like transparent glass. This is where we get the phrase, the pearly gates of heaven. So that is biblical, all right? <laughs> Each of these gates is made from a single pearl. As somebody has said, I like to see the oysters that these <laughs> pearls came from. Do you realize that a pearl is the only natural gem created by a living organism. Do you realize that? They tell me, and I did a little reading on pearls in preparation for this study, and they say that when a little speck of dust or sand uh, gets into the mollusk or the oyster, it becomes an irritant. And so the little creature secretes a substance called nacre to, to cover this thing. So it stops uh, irritating it. And the more the irritation goes on, the more it secretes this nacre until it builds up layer after layer. That's what forms a pearl. You know that Jesus likened us to pearls of great price in Matthew 13. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. He said for